Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, so why did I show the clip from Alan Iverson? And one is, uh, is because it really was the stuff of legends when, when that press conference happened. It wasn't his best look. Is that, is that fair? Now, there was a lot going on in his life. Um, one of his best friends had just died. His team had just been uh, defeated. And, uh, you know, he comes in and he had missed a practice. And so there he is in this press conference and they're like, well, you know, where were you? And he's like, you know, we're talking practice. You probably saw the clip. If you see the longer part of the clip, he actually said, we're talking practice 22 times. We're just talking practice. Now, I, I wanna suggest this morning that practice is actually really important. It's really important. Uh, for those of you that have ever been a part of a team, whether it's a sports team, whether it's a band, or what practice really matters. And one of the themes that we've been looking at as we've been unpacking what it means to become like Jesus is you see in scripture that there is this trend and the, the word is to train yourself up. Now we stand here and we go, okay, so we're, we're people of grace, which means that we come to Jesus because of his unmerited favor. And we certainly affirm that. But we also agree with Dallas Willard when he said grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. And so where the effort comes in in our relationship with Jesus is not on the front end. It's not like I'm gonna earn, my fa- earn his favor. It's not that. It's once I have this relationship with Jesus, what do I do with it now? And the answer is, is you grow in it. You mature in it. And that comes with work. That comes with training or that comes with effort. So what we don't need to be is the functional equivalent of Allen Iverson in a press conference and saying, we're talking practice here. That's exactly what we're talking about is putting the content of our faith into the practical outworking of our life for Jesus. So Jesus actually says this in Luke chapter six, verses 39 to 40. It says, he, Jesus, told them, and he's talking about the Pharisees here. He told them a parable. Can the, can the blind guide the blind? And the answer is, no, no. That was implied. Can the, can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Okay, uh, my girls and I, especially my two younger girls, we like watching the show Survivor. Do we have any Survivor fans out there? Uh, we've kind of gotten into this. One of the things that they like to do to the people on Survivor is they put them on an obstacle course and you have one person that has actually stepped back and removed where they can actually see the obstacle course, but they have to guide their other teammates through the obstacle course. And of course, the first one that gets through it, their team wins. Usually that means that they win immunity, which means that nobody's in their team is going to get voted off that day. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for immunity. I bring up that example to make this point you at least have one person that can see what's happening. Now, Jesus gives this example to the Pharisees. He's like, well, can the blind guide the blind? And it's kind of a jab to the Pharisees because if you look in scripture, they're often referred to as blind guides. Now, it's not that they're not guiding people. It's just that they're guiding people very poorly. They're misleading people. And this points out a really, this, this draws an important truth here. Be careful who you entrust yourself to. Simply because somebody is saying something doesn't mean that what they're saying is worth following or listening to, obviously. But he also points out here, 
a disciple, this is a person who puts themselves under the teaching of, an, of another person. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, fully trained means that there are some people that are partially trained. They're just not there yet. Or if you're a fan of Star Wars, it's like you're a Padawan, but you're not yet a Jedi master. It's another way of, of looking at it. However, to be like Jesus, it means that you have to change. We're not far off from a political election cycle and it's gonna be great fun to watch. Pop the corn, children, it's gonna be a blast. I am going to guess that at least one person running for president is going to say, we need change. Is that fair? We need change. Somebody's gonna say it, probably not the president, right? Because that would mean he's gotta say he's gotta get out. Every election cycle, you hear it. But you know what? It is the truth. Uh, the, the, the obstacle, though, to our changing are the habits that we've got. It's the habits that we got. We are creatures of habit. James Clear wrote a book that was a national bestseller. I don't know how many of you have read it, but it's called Atomic Habits. It's a really interesting book. He gives this example. He talks about a lady named Patty Olwell. She was a therapist in Austin, Texas. Um, she started smoking. Don't recommend it, by the way. She started smoking. And she would often light up while riding horses with a friend. In fact, that was kind of her practice. Eventually, she quit smoking and avoided it for years. And we're talking a lot of years. She had also stopped riding horses as well. Now, decades later, she hopped on a horse again and found herself craving a cigarette for the first time in decades. Here was what James Clear said in Atomic Habits. He said, the cues were still internalized. She just hadn't been exposed to them in a long time. The trigger was still in there. She just not had, been, had not been exposed to the trigger in a long time. So what he did in his book, Atomic Habits, is he started to pave the way for how people can totally revolutionize themselves with some simple practices. Here were a couple of things that he said, and here was the first. He said, small habits make a big difference. Small habits make a big difference. It's so easy, he said, to overestimate the importance of one defining moment, which is what most people want. They want this one defining moment that makes everything change. What most people don't want is to have to take intentional small steps so that there can be change. He said, it's so easy to overestimate the importance of one defining moment and underestimate the value of making small improvements on a daily basis. He said, but here's what I want you to think. He said, improving by 1% isn't particularly noticeable. By the way, he's right. Sometimes it isn't even noticeable. For those of you that have gone and worked out, you've lifted weights the first time and you look in the mirror, you're expecting huge results. It doesn't actually work like that. It doesn't work like that. But here's what he says. He said, the difference a tiny improvement can make over time is astounding. And here's how the math works out. If you can get 1% better each day for one year, you'll end up 37 times better by the time that you're done in one year. 37 times better. He said, however, if you get 1% worse each day for one year, you'll decline down to nearly zero. He said, so what starts as a small win or a minor setback accumulates into something much more substantial. By the way, that means either way. 
either positively or negatively. So here's what he went on to say. It doesn't matter how successful or unsuccessful you are right now. What matters is whether your habits are putting you on the path to success. And he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. Here was the second goal. He said, forget about, or he said, forget about setting goals. He said, focus on your system instead. By the way, this proves true every single year at New Year's. Everybody has some goals. Usually by February, it's like, what did I say? It wasn't about whether or not you could set a goal for yourself. Instead, it was you did not have a system in place to accomplish. The, there's nothing wrong with goals, but goals by themselves aren't particularly helpful. They're the results that you want to, to achieve, but the system is what ensures the process, or the process is what ensures you getting the goal. You have to actually have a process in place. He said, so if you're having trouble changing your habits, the problem might not be you. The problem is you don't have a system. You have a desire for yourself, but you actually don't have any way to accomplish it. And so you're the same now as you were five years ago. He said, and it won't work. And you're wondering, why doesn't it work? And the answer is, is because you didn't have a system in place for it to work. You gotta have a system. So what he goes on to say, and there's a reason that I'm bringing all of this up. He says, what this means, and this is not a Christian book, let me be clear. What he said is, you have to decide the type of person that you want to be. You have to first be honest with who you are and where you're at, and you have to decide the type of person that you want to be. He said, and then what you have to do is take steps in the direction to become the person that you want to be. Take the steps in the direction to become the person that you want to be. Now, he brings this up. He says, what you find is we are in what is called um, the habit loop. And I've actually provided the habit loop for you here. So you have a cue in your life. It triggers a craving that you might have. You remember Patty? Remember Patty and her cigarette problem? You know, she smoked with her friend every time that she was riding horses she stops riding horses. She's not smoking for decades. She goes out for the first time in decades and she goes, I wanna ride a horse. She gets on the horse and she goes, you know, I think I'd really like a cigarette right now. That's the cue. You have a cue which triggers a craving, which motivates a response, which provides a reward, which satisfies the craving, which you associate with the cue. And so you do this. I like the way that felt. So you come back to it. And it triggers it again. And you go, I like the way that felt. And it triggers it again. And so you find yourself in what he calls the habit loop. Now think about this. This is what James Clear went on to say. He said, if you will make some subtle changes in your life, you can break the cycle that has a hold on you. I wanna give you just a couple of examples, which by the way, we actually already knew because scripture has been saying this for thousands of years. So a, a not, not a particularly Christian book, Here's one of the things that he said. How do you create a good habit? And one of the things that he said here is you have to use what is called habit stacking. You make the decision, I will do this. And it's not just a matter of you saying that you're going, you're actually, you're actually doing it. He says you need to design your environment, make the cues. You remember Patty's cue was getting on a horse and, and basically associating it with, with smoking. Design your environment, make the cues of good habits obvious and visible to yourself. 
Here's another thing that he said. He said, join a culture where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. Maybe you need to say, I need to surround myself with different people. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Solomon was giving this advice to his son when he wrote Proverbs. When you look at Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, be not deceived, bad company corrupts good character. Maybe you need to change your environment and change your environment and maybe all of a sudden, you'll find that you are succeeding in the changes that you want to see. Here's another thing that James Clear said. He said, prime the environment, prepare your environment to make future actions easier. There's less and less resistance to doing good things. He said, when it comes to bad habits, start reducing your exposure to it. Literally, physically where you put yourself, set yourself up to succeed. If you put yourself in a position where you're more likely to fail, maybe stop, assess, and go, I'm gonna stop putting myself in those positions and I'm more likely to succeed. Does that sound familiar? He says, reframe your mindset. Highlight the benefits of avoiding your bad habits. Highlight it. And then he goes on to say this. Now I remind you one more time, this is not a Christian book. He says, get an accountability partner. Get an accountability partner. Does all of this sound familiar to you? This is, this is the sweep of what the Bible has been teaching for thousands of years. All he did was put a modern spin on it with some brain science behind it. That's basically what, basically what he did. Get an accountability partner. I was just watching somebody the other day. Back in the 1990s, they were a part of an evangelical church. Now they would describe themselves as deconstructed. They would describe themselves as um, an agnostic. And they were making fun of the practices of the church to say, it's really important that you get an accountability partner. And that way we could get together and we could talk about the things that are holding us back from being the person that we want to be in Christ. The difference was he was making fun of it. And then you read something like Atomic Habits, which isn't a Christian book, and you find, wait, it actually works. It actually works. Get an accountability partner, he said, and ask someone to watch you. But here's the thing. He said, create a habit contract with each other. Make the costs of your bad habits public and shameful. Oh man. Now I'm not saying to do that in front of the whole group. But we all need that group of people that we let them into our world so that they can speak the truth into our life so that we can look more like Jesus because of it. Atomic habits and the Bible, who'd have thunk it? Now, I wanna point this out. Jesus, because we wanna be like Jesus, Jesus had a routine for his life. He had practices, he had habits. I was watching um, Facing Nolan this week about Nolan Ryan. If you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it. It was really fun to watch. Uh, probably the greatest pitcher of all time, I would think. Uh, the guy was throwing, they were clocking him at like a little over 100 miles an hour, but nowadays they would say he was probably throwing more like 108, 109 miles an hour. That is absolutely insane. The interesting thing was with Nolan Ryan, when he was in Alvin, Texas, he gets drafted, he goes up to the Mets, and they kept pointing out, this guy had some serious control problems. You know, people were scared to death to get into the batter's box because you never knew where the ball was gonna go. And who wants to get hit by a pitch going 108 miles an hour? But they were interviewing Nolan, and this was something I thought was just amazing. He's, even though he, he does really well with the Mets, you know, they, they win the world championship in 1969, if I remember right. He's only there for a couple of years, and then they trade him, and he goes over to the Angels. And when he gets to the Angels, he says, you know, there, actually, a coach started telling me what it meant to throw. Then, 
He's already in the pros. And that was based on raw talent alone. He said, but only then, he said, I'd never had a coach in my life. And only then did they start to work on the proper mechanics on how I could be the best pitcher that I could possibly be. He became a person of routine. He still pegged people. He still pegged people. He still walked a lot of, I think the most walks in the history of baseball. You know, but there were a lot of records that Nolan was setting. But he said, that moment when I actually had a coach, everything started to change. We need a change. We need a change. But for it, we need a coach. Look at what Jesus did. Just look at the practical things that Jesus did. Routine and ritual, not just, not just goals for himself, not just I know the Bible. I wanna point something out. You cannot just think your way into Christ-likeness. You cannot just think your way into Christ-likeness. It doesn't work like that. The things that we do with our faith is what actually changes us. What we do with it is what actually changes us. And Jesus had some things that he was consistently doing. And one of the things on the top of his list is he was a person of prayer. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed. I'm just gonna give you one example. In Mark chapter one, verse 35, It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went to a solitary place where he prayed. If you read the New Testament, this is all over the life of Jesus. New Testament scholars will point out that Jesus was apparently so routine in his time with the Father and in praying with the Father that when you get to the passion of Jesus, that's the time where he's about to be crucified. Judas Iscariot knew exactly where to go because Jesus was constantly there. I know where you can find him. He'll be in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's going to be praying. It was such a part of his life. See, routines, rituals, ritual can have a kind of a negative connotation to it, but really it's good. I was thinking about when I was watching Facing Nolan this week, I was a pitcher and I had certain rituals that got me ready for the game and it was like clockwork in the way that I did it. It had my mindset for the game, it had my routine down for the game, and when the time for the game to start and you're running out onto the field, don't touch the baseline because that's the most important part. It's not just that you warmed up, if you touch the dirt, you're gonna lose. Baseball players are the most superstitious players that you're gonna run into in your life, it's just true. You would see me run out on the field and literally just jump across so that I would not touch a piece of dirt on the third baseline or the first baseline going up to the mound. We were that kind of routine type of people. This is what I am talking about when it comes to your life with Jesus. Prayer is just what you do. It just naturally flows out of you because you wanna talk with the Lord. There are things that are on your mind and your heart. There are things, yeah, there are things that you wanna confess, but there are things that you wanna express gratitude for. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Help me with this. This is what it means to really be tapped in with the Lord. You're talking with him, you're communicating with him. One of the keys to a successful marriage is that you communicate with each other. Openly, honestly, and you're a team. Did you know it's the same when it comes to your relationship with the Lord? Open, honest, consistent. Prayer. Second, the Holy Spirit. One of the things I wanna remind you, and this is why we have something that James Clear doesn't have in Atomic Habits, is that you actually have someone that will enable you to accomplish your goals in becoming more like Jesus, and that's the Holy Spirit. Think about how scripture talks about this. If we wanna be like Jesus, in Luke chapter four, verse 14, it says, Jesus returned from Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit and his fame extended to the entire country. Now this is coming on the coattails of going out and being tempted in the desert. 
He comes out of that time, which was so, so intense that he was ministered to. And he comes on the other side of it and he's coming back into Galilee and it says, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, they were talking about the miracles that Jesus did, the casting out of demons, the healing and everything. And in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. That was how it happened. You cannot have the change that you want to become like Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit behind it to bring you to that place. It won't work, it won't work. You have to have the power mechanism, so to speak, activated in your life for this kind of change to happen. The good news is, is the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is willing. The only question is, are you? Are you? Which brings us to a third thing, your mind. Your mind. Look at Romans chapter eight, verses five through nine. So when Paul wrote this, he said, for those who are living according to the flesh, they have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Have you ever had, had your mind set on something? Like you are not budging from it. And that could be a bad thing or a good thing, but you know what I'm talking about? This is what I'm going to do. That is what a mindset is like. It says, now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it's unable to do so. But those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. You, however, talking to the church in Rome, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. The spirit is inside of you. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of, God, of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. If you have Christ, you have the spirit. If you don't have Christ, you don't have the spirit. But here was the thing. Often we are not walking spiritually because we're not thinking spiritually. And since we're not thinking spiritually, the flesh is ruling over us, which just means all the things of the world. It's whooping us. So maybe there has to be a change in thinking that is spiritually to get the help of the Holy Spirit for the change that you wanna see in your life. He points out the law here. Did you see what it says? When he talks about the law, you can't do it. You can't do it. The law can direct you, but the law cannot help you. The law can point you the law is not what empowers you. If you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're operating in a relationship with God, not under a rule. If you had jumped back in Romans chapter four, it talks about Abraham, and it says that Abraham observed the law over 400 years before it was written, and you go, how do you do that? And the answer is, when you know God that well, you know what God wants. It doesn't have to be written. It doesn't have to be written. You know God that well. You know his pulse. You know his heartbeat. Abraham was following him that closely. The law can direct you. The law cannot help you. The second thing that you see, beyond just your need for the Holy Spirit in this, is that means you gotta train your flesh. It means that you have to rule over it, not it rule over you. You put it under your control because you've learned to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at this contrast in Galatians chapter five, verse 19. It says the acts of the flesh are obvious. And then there's this list of things that are there. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Do you see that? Now compare that to Galatians chapter five, verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is. 
And you probably have heard those things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you see a contrast here? What Paul is pointing out in Galatians chapter five is your deeds, they come from you, but fruit actually comes from being a part of a vine. Do you see a difference here? Because you've never seen, let me borrow an example. You've never actually seen a watermelon struggle to be a watermelon. It is just what naturally grows by being a part of that vine. That's what Paul is trying to say. It grows because of its attachment to what gives it life. And this is the point. The flowing out of you reveals what you are actually attached to. So if you want to know what you're attached to, you take a look at your life. By your deeds, you will know. There's no such thing. Tony Evans is right. There's no such thing as invisible fruit. It doesn't exist. All we've got to do is take a look at what the fruit actually is. And you see this contrast. The deeds that come from your flesh, the fruit that flows from the Holy Spirit. What does it look like? And we have this promise. If you look in Ephesians 5.18, or this challenge, excuse me. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to see this? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it literally translates, keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Like right now and right now. Let me borrow an example. Maybe this will help bring it home. When you get to the gas station, for those of you that can afford it, you fill your car up. <laughs> gas a little high. <laughs> you fill your car up. However, the second that you leave the gas station, you begin to lose the filling. And why is that? Because the second that you pull the pump out of the car and you put it up, you removed yourself from the source of what fills the car. And as you drive away, you get further and further away from the source that filled the car up. This, I think, is a great picture for your mind on what Paul is trying to say in Ephesians 5.18 when he says, keep being filled up with the Holy Spirit. Don't pull the pump out. Don't get away from it. And the source is always there. So this is actually part of what it means to look like Jesus, is to take the things that you see in his life, the things that he did. He was a man of constant prayer. And it was a routine, that was good. He was a man that was filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that was good. And he was a, ma a man that had his mind set on the things of God. That was the actual practice of the life of Jesus. And that's what it takes for us if we wanna be like him. It all begins, my friends, with that kind of story. You know, I love what Joshua says, as for me and my house, today we will serve the Lord. I wake up every day and I go, well, yesterday's done. What's today gonna be like? And I have a choice that I have to make. My love for Jesus yesterday, I still have the choice on whether or not I'm going to love him today, to live well for him today, to honor his name today. I still have that choice. What we've talked about today just shows you practically what it means to really love him and to be changed by that relationship. You can think of other relationships that you've had, friends, that have changed you. And I'm not talking about you and your relationship with God. I'm talking about just you and relationships. My wife, she changed me. She changed me. She, help, she helps me see things that without her, I just wouldn't see, largely because I'm not a woman. 
Shocker. God helps me see things because I'm not God. I need to see things the way that he sees things. And then, it's like what C.S. Lewis says, you know, it's by, with Christianity, it's like the sun, but through it, I can see everything else. I can see everything else. And that's when everything begins on the change that Jesus wants to bring in your heart. That's when it starts. On our end, what that means is, is we have to make the commitment to him for that to come about. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.